Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, and in lieu of our normal episode on Thursday, which will be a weekly news roundup, I have an episode that is another instance of The Faces of Fascism, a mini-series in this podcast where I recount the lives and politics of some of the leading lights of the extreme right wing today. I'm continuing talking about some of the leaders and sort of public intellectuals of the Daily Wire, and that's because it's an extremely terrifying but very important source of right-wing ideology right now. This week, I'm talking about Jordan Peterson, a right-wing Canadian public intellectual. Peterson claims that he is a classic liberal, but he is most definitely a right-wing figure. Jordan Peterson was born in Alberta, Canada in 1962. He did a political science degree at the University of Alberta, and then got a PhD in clinical psychology from McGill University. He was then a psychology professor at the University of Toronto starting in 1998. Up until the sort of mid-late 2000s, Jordan Peterson had a real, actual academic career, at least as far as I can tell. If you are a clinical psychologist or involved in that field, please correct me if I'm wrong. He did research in alcoholism. He did some research in childhood behavior, some of which was conducted at Harvard University, where he was, for a time, professor. At the same time, though, that he was a practicing psychologist and also a professor, he was also building himself up as a sort of weird psychosocial demagogue. This part of his career, which has spun into his full-time job at this point, started in 1999, or at least started in earnest in 1999, with the release of his first book, a book called Maps of Meaning. Now, this was not Peterson's first publication. He had several other academic publications before this. This was his first, like, big book, right? The book is an effort to combine contemporary neuropsychological studies and philosophy in order to understand the construction of meaning in contemporary society. Essentially, the book's thesis is that the world is a conflict between chaos and order, and also that individuals experience a conflict between chaos and order. He says that this happens in the world, it happens in societies, it happens in individuals, and that it is mediated, in his opinion, by logos, which he represents as consciousness. The book's fundamental thesis is that the primacy of myth and the unknown combine with logical deductive reasoning in order to produce meaning as people experience it in the present world. Now, I haven't read this book, but the reviews suggest that this is one of those books that touches on so much, so little, that it says essentially nothing. This is the basis of Jordan Peterson's claim to be a public intellectual, right? This book, Maps of Meaning. It did not sell particularly well when it first came out, but, you know, academic books rarely do. It did fairly well on audiobook tracks, but sold better later after the release of Jordan Peterson's second book, which I'll get to in a minute. Peterson continued his work in the 2000s as a psychologist and as a professor, while also building up an increasingly successful online presence. This grew and grew and grew with various podcasts and blog posts and websites and appearances on various other social media platforms until the release of his big book, which has become actually the basis for his current enjoyed popularity. This book is called The Twelve Rules for Life. 
This book made him the public intellectual that he is. Unlike Maps of Meaning, which was published by Rutledge, Twelve Rules for Life was published by Penguin Random House, meaning that it is a popular book as opposed to a sort of like, you know, academic book that maybe could have a sort of like New York Times, The Atlantic reading public audience, right? Twelve Rules for Life is a self-help book. It has an entirely different and much more, you know, common person audience than his first one. It is literally structured around 12 rules for life, which range from, you know, stand up straight to pet cats when you see them on the road. That, that Those are literally some of the rules that he gives. Essentially, these rules are simple and straightforward and very commonsensical. Basically, just sort of like live an orderly life, right? That, that, that's the book in a nutshell. However, Peterson combines these like, you know, common sense aphorism type claims about how to be a good person with some creepier and more insidious claims. And this is where he really gets his popularity. He links this commonsensical approach to moral universality, right? He's, he claims that these advices that he has are just morally universal and obvious to the point that they're encoded genetically, right? He combines this commonsensical set of advices that you might get from like, I don't know, say, your grandfather who fought in World War II, he combines this with his pedigree as a psychologist, right? As a psychologist who is actually trained in understanding some aspects of brain chemistry and also the contemporary field of clinical psychology. He claims that the benefits of living an orderly life are encoded genetically, as is the need for hierarchy, the desire to dominate and control others, etc., etc., right? He says that those are natural and normal things about human society and human beings, and that people feel the best when they are the most successful in society. He says that that success should be measured in exactly the same standard commonsensical way that you might expect. That means respect, making money, having kids, etc., etc. The book especially focuses on young men, specifically analyzing why they are unhappy and unsuccessful in the contemporary world. He blames this on overprotective parenting and also on the supposed denial of quote-unquote obvious social or scientific truths, such as the differences between boys and girls, or the fact that boys want to be violent, or the fact that boys want to be in power and take things over. The book got pretty mixed reviews critically, but in terms of consumption and readership was a pretty big success. It packaged common sense ideas behind Peterson's brand of mythical wording combined with pop culture references and his pedigree as an actual research scientist, it was a pretty, pretty useful melange of, you know, his reputation as a clinical psychologist and also his ability to package these ideas in a, you know, a popcorn type way. This has emerged as Peterson's essential brand, sort of like a right-wing or conservative answer to Zizek, somebody who could put complex ideas in simple formulae with the inscrutable theory books behind them to justify them, right? You know, inscrutable theory books that most people don't read. And then at the front are the bestsellers, the ones that like, you know, talk about like The Lion King or Cinderella or something like that, right? Peterson's focus is on mythic stories, archetypical narratives, which he says can teach us about the world. Except, of course, the archetypical stories that Peterson is talking about are pretty much exclusively Western and Christian archetypical stories. He talks a lot about the Bible, but he also talks a lot about 
Western European folktales, and, you know, no surprise here, the ones that he talks about are largely the kind that have become Disney movies or like Pixar movies or something. Essentially, think more The Little Mermaid than Baba Yaga, right? Those are the archetypical stories that he's talking about. This is despite the fact that not only is that stuff a mere fraction of the cultural output of, say, pre-modern Western European civilization, pre-modern Western European civilization is a mere fraction of the cultural and storytelling output of the entire human species across the several hundred thousand years that we've existed and, you know, however long we have stories dating back to, right? Peterson nevertheless believes that these Western stories are the real archetype of how human thinking works, right? That is his whole deal. Outside of this, outside of Peterson's sort of intellectual persona as somebody who weaves together these mystical stories and common sense agendas, he is pretty ideologically fishy. But that is also a big part of his brand, right? His brand is that he is too smart for you, right? He's thinking one step ahead of you. He says inscrutable things in simple ways, and you are supposed to spend your time trying to deduce them, trying to figure out what they really mean. Or you can just read them on face level, and he says, ah, yes, you got it, because he's trying to, he's trying to toe that line, right? He's trying to say that his detractors don't understand them because they are trapped in some wrong way of thinking about the world, whereas his supporters do understand him because they understand the simplicity behind his messages. You know, he wants to have it both ways. His detractors don't understand them because they're incapable of understanding the simple nature of reality, whereas supporters do understand because they have opened their minds to the simple and the obvious, the natural, the true, and the good. When it comes to his actual positions, he does have a couple, though, that he is pretty clear on, in addition to his, like, claims about order versus chaos or something like that, or the primacy of Western political civilization. Some of his stable views include that he is opposed to political correctness, what he calls it, and is in the most part for a very stringent form of free speech. This is partly because he has faced consequences for saying some creepy, terrible shit, and also because that is the prevailing wind on the right wing, and he is trying to catch that wind, trying to be the right wing's political intellectual. So of course he has to be against political correctness, and he has to be in favor of free speech. By these things, what he means is that people should be able to say whatever they want, essentially without consequences, and also that people should protect free speech for the right wing, but if the left wing criticizes them, then sometimes that is part of free speech, and sometimes it's not, sometimes it's harassment, or sometimes it's a mental illness, right, and that it needs to be pathologized, right, that's, that's his position. Peterson also has a bunch of opinions about academia. He is opposed to what he calls identity politics and says that it stems from what he considers to be a fake form of academic inquiry. He is open in his opposition to the existence, not just like the use of or people sometimes studying things like women's studies or ethnic studies or gender studies. He thinks that those are fake disciplines. He thinks that colleges and universities should go back to the basics, quote unquote, like classics, you know, philosophy and history, but not history like I did, in fact, study it when I got my PhD in history, but history like I guess he imagines that people studied history. Then again, you know, he's an actual college professor. 
he probably knows how history is actually studied. He means more like how people think history used to be. Like, big dudes sitting in big chairs reading big books about, like, you know, Napoleon or Alexander the Great or something, or, you know, Julius Caesar, some shit like that, right? He means that kind of history. Jordan Peterson has a complicated relationship to Christianity. He began his life as a not particularly Christian person, did flirt with some extreme left-wing views when he was a younger person, and now he's not, like, really all about his faith as such, right? You know, he's not a famous churchgoer or something like that. Instead, he's one of those intellectuals who thinks that Christianity is the basis of Western thought and that that's just, like, a good thing that we should be grateful for, you know? He thinks that Christianity is the basis of Western civilization and that Western civilization is good and that, therefore, there's a bunch of stuff about Christianity that's just good and that we should just, like, accept and roll with. Now, this is a complicated one because, you know, as somebody who also professionally deals with questions of the religious or potential religious nature of Western civilization, I think that there's something there, you know, like Western civilization is based in many ways on Christian morality and thinking, but you got to approach that from a critical lens, right? You have to understand that that is the origin of some of the shittier parts of Western civilization as well. Jordan Peterson also adds to all of this an abiding focus on masculinity and the problems facing young men. These people are his primary base and audience. And he's constantly talking to young men. You might have really, like, like if, if there's no other Jordan Peterson content that you've ever encountered in the last five years, you've probably seen a Zoom video of this, like, sort of emaciated, long-faced man telling young men to clean their rooms, right? That's Jordan Peterson to a T, that's his message distilled. A complicated, philosophical, probably somewhat gobbledygook edifice that essentially just kind of tells you to do what your grandfather probably would have told you to do if you asked him for advice. Peterson remains extremely popular and is now a prominent contributor to the Daily Wire. He remains its sad intellectual guru and is basically like a, a, a sort of incoherent public intellectual for a fascist or nascent neo-fascist movement that is incoherent and, you know, underdeveloped itself, and therefore he's a reflection of that, right? He doesn't have a particularly nailed-down ideology or politics because the movement that he's trying to be the intellectual for doesn't quite exist yet. It hasn't really been fully distilled. Right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H I S T of the right, and fascism 15. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.